Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Olá, o meu nome é Ana Neves, sou sócia fundadora da Noman, sou organizadora da conferência Social Now e sou uma das coautoras de um estudo de Social Collaboration, Maturity, Scan and Benchmark. Uma coisa que as pessoas não sabem sobre mim, talvez, é que eu adoro bordar e fazer crochê. So, my name is Anna Neves. I am the founding partner of Noman, a company focused on knowledge management and organizational learning. I am the organizer of the Social Now Conference and I'm one of the co-authors of the Social Collaboration Maturity Scan. One thing that many people probably don't know about me is that I am addicted to crocheting and needlework. That keeps me busy in my free time. <laughs> Ik ben Jaap Linsen. Ik woon in Amsterdam, in Nederland. Ik ben uh, eigenaar van Orange Trail en wij zijn een uh, bureau met 12 mensen. En we specialiseren ons in inclusieve communicatie, in uh, slimmer samenwerken en in lerende organisaties en kennismanagement. Uh, leuk om te weten, mijn zoon is vandaag 18 jaar geworden en uh, wordt nu tot een, officieel tot een volwassene gerekend. Hi, I'm Jaap Linsen. I am the uh, owner of a company called Orange Trail in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. We specialize in inclusive communication in organizations, working smarter and in accelerating learning in organizations through knowledge management. My son's turned 18 today. And so in, in our law, he's officially a man uh, now. Uh, so, it's, so it's been a big, uh, a big day and uh, uh, yeah, I'm glad to be on the show. And like Anna, we so I co-authored the, the benchmark report with Anna. How long and why has this survey and study been going on? We've done the study twice, so that's that's two years. The actual model that's underlying we've been using for seven or eight years in our in our consulting work with clients to actually guide them on the journey of getting more value from the, the social networking platforms and the, the collaboration and, and, and knowledge sharing that they that they do. So it's it's been there for uh, for about seven, eight years. Okay. And um, Go ahead. one of the interesting things about the, the scan is that the first edition was actually started before uh, the pandemic. We didn't know it was coming, obviously, and we certainly did not bring it on. <laughs> but uh, we do have the data before the pandemic, which meant that we by chance got the, the opportunity to compare things with the between and after or, or during rather. Yeah, I'm sure that has uh, influenced many behavioral changes in organizations for sure. In the role of knowledge management, how impactful is social platforms? It seems to me, and I'll propose this and let you two chew on it. It seems to me that social connection was novel. It was not industrious. It was not, it was frivolous. It was initially. And what changed, how and what changed that organizations said, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should be doing that for our own people, for the organization. What changed? With bringing up the platforms, I think it just made it possible for people to, to interact in a more asynchronous way. And um, actually, one of the good things about the pandemic, if I may say so, is because so many people had started using the platforms 
that even unknowingly they started to document some of their decision making, some of the thinking behind their decisions, some of the things they're doing. And although they're not doing it as much as one would like, and maybe certainly not consciously, there's a lot more than it was before. Maybe to, to add to, to your answer, uh, I, so the, I have two answers to your question, uh, I guess. One is nothing changed. We do find also in the results that uh, we see it now also in our work, also during the pandemic, that basically people stick to their processes in the way they do things. They just change the technology. Uh, but yeah, if you really look at, at knowledge workers, they've been doing the same stuff for hundreds of years. You know, we've been putting stuff in folders. Now we do it on computers. And so from that perspective, I don't think anything has changed. I think you know, where things did really change, I think, is, is with that social technology. I remember vividly, I think in 2008 or something like that, I read an article from a guy called Andrew McAfee, a, a knowledge professor, I think, at Harvard. He talked about above the flow and in the flow knowledge management where he said that if you can actually make knowledge management a product of in the flow work to make it part of your work it's likely to be far more successful than when you have to do it in as an extra activity that is the the thing where i i think that that social can actually be this the the the, the element that makes knowledge management a lot more powerful and a lot more successful when you what we call work in a narrative so so narrate your work and and, and work out loud those, all those terms that are that are being used uh, you're doing your work uh, on that platform and you're leaving knowledge behind and you're you're also leaving the contextual information and not not just the files behind so people can go back and see what happened what decisions were made what knowledge was used and i think that's the big game changer that has changed and you see some companies or or people in companies really get that and, and really understand that and they really take off that to me is the the big change and also the big promise that this technology has to organization but the majority still when you give them a social platform think it's an intranet publish articles on it and and don't think about dialogue or anything like that yeah so good point Anna? going back to what we were saying about having the data before the pandemic and now one interesting thing that uh, kind of took us by surprise was that the amount of asking for help and discussions happening in private direct messages in one-to-one -one or in closed group uh, spaces, it's a lot higher than it was before the pandemic. And that surprised us because we did see a big increase in terms of the number of teams, for instance, using these platforms. But they're using these platforms to have their calls, uh, their meetings, uh, but when it comes to asking for help or sharing stuff with each other, they rely on their personal contacts a lot more. Uh, and that is kind of obviously against the whole spirit <laughs> of, of these platforms. Yeah. The concept of getting out of the one-to-one -one and getting into the one-to-many and making it more rich and robust for everyone seems to be, maybe it's a framework that operations and organizations have painted themselves into a corner with because they're still thinking email you know organizations that have grown up to operate in an email system is going to be a hard press to get them to come over i think to use all the utility that's in a social platform. Yeah. I think there's actually two elements there that we these platforms are fighting against. One is the emails, the other one is meetings. 
the emails as a controlled space that you know who's sending and who's receiving and the other one with the synchronous communication so people are still too dependent or too reliant on synchronous communication the, the meetings and stuff they complain about it all the time and yet they really fight to keep those things and they are <laughs> actually even introducing more with the the weekly stand-ups that sometimes people don't just like yeah. <laughs> they run away from those right. things now but um yeah so you're talking about just behaviors is so is it going to be abrupt shift will will there have to be somebody that says okay we're not going to use a crm we're not going to use you know we've got we've got a buffet of stuff and people seem to get lost in the woods of oh wait a minute where where was that was that um what plat where uh i saw it you know so how do you get to a homogenous way where knowledge can be not scattered across and multiple enterprises it, do, do organizations just have to put a stake in the ground and say we're only going to operate with a social platform what i i think what organizations should try and, and do is to capture the, the conversation or the contextual information on those platforms. We use a social platform as well as a CRM system because, you know, if you have a lead or an opportunity or whatever, it works as a story and you can capture it with. So, so it worked beautifully. However, I think in most organizations, there's this mindset of you need a tool or an instrument to do something. And so for sales, you need a CRM system. So I, I think it'll be really difficult to, to get rid of that. So what we tend to do uh, in these situations is that we say, you know, the CRM th thing is mostly for capturing the names and the, the phone numbers and email addresses of your prospects or whatever, and maybe doing some forecasting, but the actual storyline and the proposals and all of that on a social platform. And when something is shipped or linked, uh, you can link to the actual thread or a post or even a comment in a thread. So we would we say so put the link in the CRM system, but that the actual the knowledge and the, and all the background uh, you can actually find on the system. But that's that's still quite a quite a leap for a lot of a lot of people. A lot of people they feel that if you have a system for something, you use the system, and, and you know a lot of these systems. Uh, don't capture that knowledge, so it's 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 a shame. Yeah. But, um, I, I do think there's um, there's still a need to have different tools for different things. We tend to see some specialization in terms of tools. Some tools are very good for the conversation thing. The others are very good for document management, and and I think there's a place for those. There's something that has been we've been witnessing for some years now and i think this whole pandemic kind of put a pause on this development but i think that there was a big push in terms of having good searching tools that were allowed able to integrate and bring data from different uh, platforms and i don't think there's anything wrong with having different tools i, I think the the most important thing as yap was saying was have one place where the narrative where the conversations where the debate can happen because even if you as in the scenario that you were saying edwin if you don't remember where you've seen something you can go to the group and ask getting organizations to a stage where people feel comfortable to ask questions because that's actually one thing that we've seen in the data that people don't feel comfortable asking questions in these platforms when we get to that stage i think something will change 
And the other thing in your question, Edwin, about whether it's kind of almost to forbid people or dictate that they will have to use the tools, I think, and I, I know it was a, a provocative question, I think there's an element of showing people the benefit and not only working in the narratives, but also creating narratives of work where you show how people are getting benefits, tangible benefits, not just for the organization, but for themselves as individuals. When the organizations are able to collect these stories and share these stories and create campaigns around these stories, that's where the magic starts to happen. Because even if you don't have the committed and um, the committed um, uh, senior managers embracing these platforms, you'll have demand from the ground up. And that's really important. Did you find in the data uh, change in who motivated an organization to get into this, as you just said? Is, do you get people just naturally connected through whatever the platform is to get stuff done, but it's not a corporate sponsored solution, right? It's not within the firewall. There's a couple of problems with that, right? You've got information going out that maybe shouldn't in a third party system. What was the driver for the change? Was it corporate sponsored or use case made it usable? Mm. Did the CEO say, boom, we're going to do this? Or did all these teams just working together just started using the system and somebody in IT said, you know, that should be within the firewall maybe. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have the data for, for, to answer that question with this scan. However, I'm sure Yap can tell you some examples because that's exactly the kind of work Orange Trail does. But one thing we do have, which was really, really interesting in the data for this year, is we try to assess the impact of the pandemic in terms of employees engagement with the organization employees engagement with other people in other teams because what happened with the pandemic was we saw lots of people working in their close teams but disconnected from the rest of the teams so we asked that and one thing that is fascinating and it's totally clear in the data is that organizations that have more leaders embracing the platforms or have more teams using the platforms in a more mature way, they have suffered a lot less impact uh, from the pandemic. So that is totally clear in the data. I think part of the answer to your question uh, comes from, and we did, we do have some data on that, is what kind of goals do people set when they invest in this type of technology? Or basically then, uh, the, the answer is well, where does this come from and what we saw in the first years and also in the first survey is that a lot of it is driven from closing the gap with senior management employee engagement which indicates the comms department is behind it so you see a lot of these platforms being owned by the comms department and they you know they just say we need a, a new platform to uh, to communicate better and that's it so that's a pretty much a top-down thing and then a lot of the adoption we do is trying to also get other departments, communities of interest, communities of practice, get them flourishing. So not only the comms department benefits from uh, from this thing, but other people also start to gain the benefits, which if you don't have that, the platform will fail because it, it's then it's just going to be an intranet that people go on at 4.55 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. What we also saw is that, uh, and that's interesting, I think, in terms of the data, and I don't know the exact numbers, I don't know, then, um, but what we saw is that knowledge sharing has always been like a top three goal. 
for having these types of platforms. It, it, as a side note, it's, it's, a, it's a trick I always pull when we do workshops with platform owners and they do, what do you want to achieve? And always top three, there's knowledge sharing. And then I point at the, the most senior person in the room. I say, okay, now share your knowledge with me. And they look at me big <laughs> eyes and like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, exactly. You're going to tell your people uh, to share their knowledge. Yeah, right. They yeah. will not know what to do. Uh, yeah. So what does that mean? Um, what we saw last year in the, in the last survey was that sharing knowledge actually dropped out of the top, what is it, five even, Anna? I did that. Yeah. yeah, five. I think it's the fifth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, um, it dropped from 79 to 45% of organizations. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is an interesting move. I, I hope it will it'll go back up in the, in the future. So it might have to be about survival in, in the, the, the corona crisis. Yeah, but long answer to your question. If it comes, it's often done with a big, big hammer and a very different goal than, than a knowledge sharing goal. And, and very often, if, if there's more of a knowledge sharing perspective behind it, uh, you see it drift, you know, be more bottom up and more, more use case uh, generated. What drives the strategic planning for a social platform? I'm glad you brought that up because I think that in most tool adoption, it seems to me that the folks, the CTO or the IT folks, whoever's got the, the reins of that domain in an organization, I wonder if there's a, a complete connection to tool adoption and the organization's strategic planning. Do you see that or do you see an intersection naturally or is it usually IT does this and the rest of the organization follows? Ooh, um, I think... There's a strategy behind getting these tools, you know, like the ones I, I just described. However, they're never strategized or they're never made, they're ne never executed because, you know, they, they, we're going to get these tools to do engagement and knowledge sharing and connecting people, but then they don't really execute on that or they don't figure out what, what does connecting people, because just connecting people has no value. You want to connect to to make something happen, right? And what what that is, they don't really make specific. They don't go out and figure that out. So how can we make connection valuable? Right. And in as much as that, how would they even measure what success was in that system? You know, if they say those are the top three reasons we need to spend money on this thing, and then nobody follows up with a well, what what did we accomplish? The likes on the CEO post. <laughs> <laughs> that's as it's far not, as it goes yes exactly yeah. and it's not it's funny but it's very true i don't know if it's a european thing or maybe the type of clients that come to myself and and yeah but i would venture that most of the clients that come to us are not from it they will probably be from internal comms or hr or knowledge management and but having said that I still do see a lot of these initiatives taking place in teams that are from one department. So data is showing that there's been a bit of a progress there. So there's uh, starts to be more joint efforts with teams of people from IT or from comms. But when it comes to establishing these goals, it's usually very fuzzy. And that means that the, the metrics that are used are even fuzzier or non-existent and very much reliant on whatever the platforms give you. So maybe they will, as Yap was saying, maybe they will look at the number of likes or the number of comments or the number of eyeballs on a certain post. 
but not making the effort to link that back to business objectives, how much or how little um, communities are learning and contributing to the organization. So I think there's still a, a huge opportunity there because once organizations establish this link, they will be a lot more likely to really embrace these things and explore their full uh, potential. Uh, maybe, maybe to give you an example, um, so we, we work a lot with communications departments and, you know, you ask them, when are you successful? And very often they, they don't get a lot past, um, you know, we write an article about a change that needs to happen and so many people seen it and so many people liked it. Your change is actually, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. That's not just one post on the platform. So a change encompasses that people need to understand why you're changing and they need to buy into that change and then they need to understand what the change actually is. And then they need to understand how that change applies to them. The first part of your, your change communication, if you set some goals for it, your goal should be people understand why this change is necessary. Uh, so then you design your intervention on a platform like that by being a big dialogue, for example, where you ask for examples where things aren't working or ask for examples where competition is meeting you or things like that. And when people start to talk about it, people start to realize it and you can actually see that happen on the platform. People start to go, oh shit, we need to do something. And then you look at how many people looked at it, how many people responded, what was the quality of it, what did they talk about, what were the insights that we can get from the conversation, what are the white spots, and thereby it becomes a lot more purposeful in that sense than just saying, okay, you know, we have this, this thing where the CEO explains we need to change and this is what was going to happen and then see how many people actually viewed the post. I haven't met a lot of companies that actually look at it in that way and, and look at a bigger change process and look at the, the individual interventions in that sense. You'd have to follow the trail to what changed ultimately from the interaction. You know, the, the old classic of, oh, this document was viewed 600 times. Yeah. Okay. By two guys. Yeah. Or, or the cat was standing <laughs> on my keyboard and just kept hitting uh -huh. the same. You know, what, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It, it, it yeah. means your system works, but did the knowledge change anything? Did anything change? So that's where you really have to understand the behavior is one thing, but what comes out of the knowledge or the data or the information that changed yeah. something? I'm working with a client at the moment where I had the, the luxury of doing some initial focus groups with them to understand what were their main challenges when it came to information and knowledge and to identify some key areas where they thought a new intranet, a new platform should be helping them. What we're doing at the moment, and I was actually looking at the data before our call now, was to see if the new intranet has helped or not with each one of those things. So before making the intranet available, we asked them uh, roughly how long it would take them to access certain key knowledge and information in the organization, very specific questions. And now we've gone back to ask them, what was the impact? Had the intranet made it easier for them to access that knowledge or information? And what we've seen is that some of the things that were considered key by the organization at the beginning are a lot more easier to find now, like information about their colleagues, but others are not. Actually, we know why they're not, but we can pinpoint and focus in terms of future development. And it's the, 
the impact these things can have. And it's a lot easier now to go back to the admin board to and, and say, guys, this is the impact this is having. And if we could go and actually the fact that we took time, how long it would take people to get that information, we can transform that into money because we know like the average uh, salary of an employee there. So we can transfer uh, that to money. And, and that is very powerful. But yeah. not all organizations are prepared to do it or to invest time in doing this exercise. Yeah, the cost avoidance is probably the simplest way to show value, right? To say, look how much money you save by having a solution versus not. Uh, one thing I'll, I'm pulling up from the data, uh, two things I wanna ask about is that one of the goals is accelerate organizational learning. Well, as we all know, learning typically in a structured world has learning objectives. And there's a way you can test to see if the learning happened. So in a learning organization, in a true sense, how do you test if they learned anything? I, so I'm not going to give you the answer you expect, probably, but uh, <laughs> I'm a big believer in uh, in these, these social platforms being huge boosters of learning by the simple fact that people see other people doing stuff. So to give you one measure, we've had several use cases at, at clients with service channels. You know, eight years ago, we, we had our first case. We didn't come up with this ourselves. It just sort of happened and we, we stumbled on it. But what we noticed there was this was a, a bank and they had a, an application where they would figure out if, if a company could get a loan. And 6,000 bankers used that application. It was really bad application. So they got a lot of phone calls to the service desk. Okay. Especially if they changed anything in the application, nobody would know what to do and the service desk would get, you know, hundreds of calls. So this, the simple thing that we noticed when we, we opened up a community where people could ask questions. And what was interesting is that in a service desk environment, if you have prior for it, you get an answer in 10 days uh, because they can take 10 days. It takes 10 days. But what happens in a, in a community is people just see it pop up and answer straight away and also give a good answer because there are pictures on the screen. What we saw happen there was, was that questions were answered quite quickly. This became the preferred place to go because it, you, know, you're, you would get an answer straight away. What we hadn't expected was that the number of calls would drop significantly because if there would be one issue, they would get 50 calls and nobody would know from each other what was happening. So they would learn from the questions other people were asking. The measurement that we had there of the learning was actually that the help desk, the number of calls about that specific tool went down significantly, but also the number of errors in the loans that were given actually also were reduced because people were learning from the stuff that other people were doing. So it's not an exact answer to your question in terms of learning, but it no, is it's a, a good, it, it's, it's definitely a good way to look at the results, yeah. right? What we changed and what the results were and things to look out for. I think that's an easy way to start to think about how an organization can become more proficient with its knowledge. What was the big aha moment out of this uh, latest report? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is it a long list? What? What is it? What? No, it's, <laughs> I think the biggest aha or uh-huh to me was that nothing changed, really. So a lot more people came on, but people just didn't, you know, they, they, the maturity of the, the, uh, the usage of this, this technology, so getting real value from it, went down. More people came on, 
the way it was used was less valuable than it was before. And I guess that's because the laggards also joined, so, you know, that, so there's some explanation okay. to it. But the, the, we had expected to see some, some serious improvements and they weren't there. What drives that? The lack of curation? The, did they just throw the tool out there and let people just do what they want? Uh, or is there, is there nobody sponsoring what could be done in this platform? I, I think there's a big element of not knowing what these platforms can be used for, but there's most of all, for me, it's the cultural thing. No matter how big and great the platform is, if you have a culture of fear of errors, of looking bad in front of your peers, you will never be sharing openly on a platform. If you don't see your managers and your senior managers using the platforms, you're less likely to use them. There's so many elements. And, and the other thing is, um, as Yap was saying, we saw a lot more, like in terms of quantity, there's more teams, there's more leaders, there's more employees, there's more communities using the platforms, but they're just using them for very basic activity. So there's also an element of time. I think people, and obviously the data that we had post pandemic was gathered like mid last year. So people were still trying to cope with all the stress and everything. There was an element of having to start using these tools in a very stressful and uncertain situation, which obviously doesn't help. I would say that culture is the, um, is the biggest thing. I'd like to touch on two things. One thing I think is, you know, people replaced old things they had with digital. And if you look at, you know, a lot of things that happen in the office when people are together, you have a lot of moments where you have informal connection and info, you know, at the coffee machine, you might say, how's this project? How's that? How's that going? How's that? So a lot of the, the alignment that happens in the office by just brushing by somebody and at the desk and, and things like that, they stopped. And what that, instead of actually doing that alignment in the terms of working out loud or in asynchronous work, people just added more meetings to also have these types of alignment. So I think that's probably the big mistake that was made uh, in the pandemic. And a lot of people complain about it. And then Microsoft has some figures around it. I think there's 13% more meetings in a, in a day. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's more than, that's like five hours a week more. Oh. Stop. So that's crazy. Yeah. And so people aren't stopping and thinking, okay, so how can we reorganize the way we work so we align in a different yes. way? I think that's the, the biggest problem there. And then I forgot my second point when uh, when I was, doing, <laughs> I was on this round. Well, while you think on that one, would it be advantageous to roll out power users that are super smart on all the things that can be integrated in workflows and processes? that can be pulled from other places and put into a social platform. And I just realized that we probably need to define what we're talking about. Social platform is a... Well, I would say that it's a, a platform online that allows users or employees to interact with each other more than just with uh, content assets or knowledge assets, but with each other. And that can take the shape of co-editing a document or giving comments or tagging things that people can yeah. then pick up later. So that's and I, I just wanted to throw that in there because the, the good news is, is that that term, I think most people understand what it is just due to their own private use of what that is. But in an 
organization, it seems to have an unspecified why attached to it. And here I'll go back to the power user. If you had power users that could just ride in on their white horse and say, I'm here, I will show you the way, you know, like knowledge management people always do anyway, <laughs> uh, right? I mean, it's like, is everybody awake in here? Hello, somebody take that. I, I agree to some extent, but I see in practice, I see a lot of companies try to have these, what they call champions or power users. And typically what I see is they pick the wrong people. <laughs> so they'll pick the people that are enthusiastic about the technology, you know, aren't the most important in the company or don't have the right job or whatever. What we try to do uh, more is to actually create the hero use cases more. So to focus more on what's being achieved and spotlight that, then actually pinpoint the, the people. Or we try to get these use cases that are really nice and shiny and then get the people that are involved there to bring those use cases further into other projects that they're in or, or whatever. In the early days, and so I'm talking like 11 years ago, you know, what people would do is they would go on Twitter and on LinkedIn and on Facebook and look at their employees that were loudest and then say, you want to be a champion. <laughs> and then what happened was that all the people on the platform were yeah. going blah, blah, blah. Uh, when they when they select the champions, it's uh, yeah, they, they should select the people that, that want to solve a business problem and, and not so much the people that, uh, yeah. So with that in mind, it almost sounds like the best way to impact the organization's use and concerted effort of why they're using it is to not have a champion so much, but just supplement, go over to the boss and say, you know, if you do this and then do that, you're going to look super smart and it'll example what we're trying to do here. So you're just kind of like yeah. little left, little right. People will see the value instead of somebody telling them about the value. Yeah, and we, we sometimes approach these programs uh, so like an innovation funnel where you know you have to drop in 100 ideas to get one really or two really good things out. There's the same goes for use cases very often when you're in the early phases that you, you know you talk to 100 people and in the end you have five really good strong business changers but those are valuable and they can actually then scale up and, and snowball through the rest of the organization. Right. Yeah. And um, in terms of the work of these champions or ambassadors, sometimes I refer to them not necessarily to the people who are using the technology in the, in the best possible way, but more about the people who are the eyes and ears of the project team and try to spot what is being done neatly using these platforms. Maybe there's one work process that has really benefited from using these platforms. Maybe there's like a weekly meeting that is now no longer a meeting and it's a shared space on the collaboration platform. And these people should be there to spot these examples and then bring them back to create what uh, Yap was saying as uh, referring to as the hero stories. And those are extremely, extremely powerful. So all you need is marketing, good yeah. marketing. In the uh, end, it all comes down to marketing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go into the why. Why do you guys do this? Who cares? The other thing is that, um, I, I care. I don't say I'm being flippant here, but I, I care. That's why you're on the show. But I, I think it's powerful that somebody's doing this because two things, you're working with folks communicating data or collecting data that can help drive and identify gaps 
But why have them separate between profit and not-for-profit? We don't actually separate the two. So what we've done this year for the first time was we did a specific look at the data and compared the non-profits to the, the average, uh, the global average. As a request, we were asked to do this and we thought it was an interesting thing because there aren't many studies like this, but certainly even less considering the nonprofits. Uh, the overall report is, is an interesting and in terms of the why, I think we do it for two reasons. I think uh, certainly from my side, curious about the data and the results, but the effort we put in in terms of creating the, the survey itself was also from a very pedagogical angle. So all the questions, and that's actually some of the feedback we get, is that the questions also offer lots of ideas for people who are answering the survey. So when you finish uh, responding to the questions, you get a personalized report with the assessment and also with some personalized recommendations to help your organization move to more advanced stages in terms of how they use their platforms. And hopefully, they're planting seeds in people's minds, and that's also a, a reason why we do it. So you actually want to help people? Yes. <laughs> but it's, I think it's, it, to me, no, it's, it's a bit of a joke, but it, 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 there's an element of truth. I'm also really quite frustrated, to be honest, about if you look at the vendors, for example, the KPIs they have, the stuff they push is not the stuff that people need. I don't know if they listen to this program, but you know, this year's KPIs for Microsoft is more calls. And that's not what people need. Use Teams to do more calls. No, it's people should use Teams to do working smarter. And the same goes for Workplace by Meta, we say now. All the features they're bringing out, they're not so much focused on really valuable types of, of functionality. Um, if you look at a lot of the com communities that are about you know, adoption and successful uh, stuff, the, the, the quality of the conversation there is what we call level one in our, our maturity scan. So to me, a big driver for bringing the model that we were using within our client scope out there is to try and get the conversation in this world to a higher level. Uh, with the, the questions and the, the, the angle we take for this, uh, for this scan, it's a lot about usage. So it's nothing to do with functionality. You can respond to the survey no matter whether you have um, a workplace or teams or Jive or whatever tool. Uh, it's all about how you use it and what behaviors you have and recognizing people's good behavior in the tool. Are you using to engage people in dialogue? So it's all about these day-to-day -day things that you can do using these platforms. I like the idea of having a survey that actually serves to provide learning for people in plant seeds. I think that's a brilliant goal. You know, most surveys are one way. It's give me your, give me the data. And uh, I, I like the two-wayness of that, yeah. that you get a result, you get recommendations. Is the survey just up all yes. year and everybody can just go do it? Yeah. It's, data uh... for the benchmark, we're not collecting it now, but the scan is available. So you can go there, you can fill it in and you can get report. The actual call for taking the survey is in a specific date and time group and then it's just up there for your own general purpose to go figure out where you're at in the model and you get some yeah. ideas yeah right because you need to know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared 
I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer-ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.